Hello, fellow fans. I'm Mark, and united with me is my co-host, the Kindred Brian. What up, Brian? Hey, everyone. And this is United We Fan, the podcast. The truth is, I am Iron Man. I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. What is going on? What are you doing? To infinity and beyond! This is the way. The flux capacitor! Is Star Wars the one with the little wizard boy? Chewie, we're home. Avengers! Assemble. Ah, chills. Literal chills. That's right, fans. Welcome, welcome. On the last episode, Brian and I talked about some of our favorite 90s Nickelodeon shows. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing the whip-toting archaeologist Indiana Jones on a two-part Indiana Jones epic podcast spectacular. But first, thank you all uniting with us as we talk about all things fandom. Please give us a rate or review wherever you listen so we can unite with more fans. UWF is partnered up with the This Diz Life podcast family. Lots of fun podcasts and live shows with them. One of them happens to be, well, you know, co-starring us, Brian and Mark on Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. Brian, tell our fans about the weirdos. Every Monday night, YouTube on This Diz Life podcast YouTube channel, as well as anywhere you find your podcast, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. Right now we're in the middle of talking about Loki. This past Monday, Marky Mark, you took the uh, night off. Um, get some much-needed rest that you needed, but we had a good-spirited discussion about the first episode of Loki. It was so good. I'm very, very much excited to continue to talk about this show. We've got Black Widow coming up soon. Lots going on in the MCU world where Earth's Mightiest Weirdos is going to have a lot to talk about. Yes, it's a lot of fun, fans. And please tune in live, throw some comments, thoughts our way. We love it all. We did have somebody join us on the most recent Earth's Mightiest Weirdos to tell me how wrong we were about Hey Arnold. So they took our advice, and it was uh, it was very funny. Though so it said Facebook user, I don't know who it was, but that was uh, well done. Actually, Brian, would you like to know who it was? Because I uh, happened to be in the comments, and I was able to see who it was. Who was it? It's our good friend of the show, Ethan. It was. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> of course, the Facebook user came out of the Ross and household. Yes. So, Ethan, we appreciate you and we appreciate everyone who uh, tunes in, rates and reviews that show. It's a lot of fun. Now, normally we would have our in Mark and Brian's World News as well as our hot takes and random Rushmore. But um, not this episode because it's so epic that it's two parts. So we're going to go ahead and get into this. On this episode, it's going to be a very exciting special episode. Brian and I, we this is an adventure that we can't handle by ourselves. Brian and I are joined by a friend of the show and, well, Indiana Jones expert slash enthusiast, Matt. Hello there. Welcome to United We Fan. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. And... Um, Matt, we we go way back with working, and then I will admit, when I found out your love for indie, I respectfully accepted that there's someone who loves and appreciate indie just a little bit more than I do. Yeah, (laughs) I would say it's been a lifelong obsession. Yeah, for everyone out there, and I'm going to give Matt a chance to talk about this, here's how much... 
I bonded with him, there would be times where I'd be like, Matt, can you talk to me about the different maker of Indiana Jones hats and your collection? So here's how much I got to fan out. But that actually, you know what? Let's get to it. Matt, whenever we have a guest on, we'd love to hear their origin story, why you're on here, like what exactly, like why you're our special guest. So when did you first fall in love with Indiana Jones, that whole franchise? Uh, so as a lot of us know that, uh, Last Crusade came out in eight, uh, 1989 and I was a young kid at the time. I didn't get to go see it in the theaters at the time. It, it, you know, it was just one of those things. I grew up watching it at home on the VHS. So I think like I was probably six. That was like my first real true introduction from my parents and everything like that. And it just kind of exploded from there. There, you know, it was. I still have the original Last Crusade VHS that my parents got. I've been, I it's up in my shelf. Um, you know, over time, started like watching Finding Raiders and watching Raiders, and you know, my parents weren't all really big happy with uh, Temple of Doom when it started to come out, just because it was it was it was the darker of the th- of the three at the time, and so you know, getting older, watching it, and just like loving everything that's about those three. And cosplaying the books, finding the books and finding the comic books and just the video gaming aspect of just getting all those different things. I just over the years, it's just exploded into, well, a giant obsession. Well, you mentioned cosplay. We have to talk about that because we have we do have fans out there who we support so much cosplaying. I love it, Matt. I know I've bumped into you several conventions and. And I even threw out on the episode, man, I don't know how there's not a Broadway musical called Cosplayer the Cosplayer Story or Cosplay the Cosplayer <laughs> Story. Like, I just think that would be a fun story. But you cosplay is indie. Now, do you do, and I, I want to get into it. And everyone's probably like, oh, he does indie. No, no, no. I want to ask you, do you do like um, sleeveless Temple of Doom indie? Do you do Raiders indie? Do you do um, like Last Crusade? Like, what what is your inspiration for your indie cosplay? So, mine is always going to be Last Crusade. Um, you know, we've talked about we've talked about them, some of the makers, and so a lot of the big ones are uh, Wested Leather. They're the ones that made the jackets for the first three films. Um, they also were helping out with the shirts as well. So I usually always lean towards Last uh, Last Crusade just because that's one of my favorites. So like the. If you and we've had these conversations before, the hat is slightly different between the first three and even with the fourth one. So even like how I pinch my hat and how I do all the the folds on it is to make it look more like Last Crusade. And see, I didn't even I, I've watched those movies so much, I didn't even notice that until you pointed it out and how there are even different materials in different ones. I it's still on my bucket list to get one from the actual makers for the film. Mm-hmm. I got one from a um, Panama hat company. And then yep. of course I found one at Hollywood studios that my dad bought me. So yeah, those um, are the uh, Dorman, uh, Dorman Pacific hats. Yeah. Brian, do you have an indie hat or I do not. I uh, regret yeah. to inform that I do not. That's okay. You know what? I, maybe I have an extra one. Maybe Brian, if you're feeling worthy. I'll I'll throw one your way, no problem. I'll take so, it. Um, I I was blessed by a friend um, who 
you know, when you're indie, I feel like one of the necessary things to cosplay is a whip. And Mm -hmm. I had a friend, bless her, from Texas, Haley. I still have it if you're listening out there. She gifted me a brown bullwhip. She was like, Mark, you're an indie fan. Here you go. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, do I, like, I'm not worthy. So thank you, Haley, for that. You just, you get a different kind of walk when you put that hat on and then you attach <laughs> the bullwhip. There's yeah. just something about it. So, but Matt, am I, am I wrong? You make props as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. I've, uh, I make a lot of props. I have a 3D printer, so I do a lot of that stuff where I'll get design, do my own designs, and I'll 3D print the stuff. And my big specialty is doing distress work and making things look old. Big surprise being an Indiana Jones fan and making something look old. Um, but yeah, I've done, uh, I've done the Shankara stones. I did the grail, uh, hand painted the grail and then even put gold leaf on the inside of it to make it look just that extra special, almost authentic look. That belongs in a museum. Every single time. <laughs> Every single time. Matt, can our listeners see all this creativeness on your Instagram? Yeah. So I've got, uh, I have my my personal Instagram is movieman1899, and then my store Instagram is Kinsey Creations. Yeah, those are the two that I go off of, and that those are where I'll showcase a lot of the stuff. And I've even done some stuff, per, uh, custom stuff made uh, that I did, like the Jovitos uh, arrowheads that Ooh. you see at the beginning of Raiders. Right. Well, I I feel like if we're gonna be honest with our listeners listeners i always i always want to be truthful with you whenever i do cosplay as indie or halloween costume my indie shirt that i have the brown button up um i got it from banana republic it was on (laughs) sale and i thought it looked pretty darn spot on um i'm good with it I don't. I don't care that it's from Banana Republic. I'm good with that. And that's so. perfectly fine because <laughs> cosplay. You know, you don't have to get it as accurate as you want. It's just how you per- personify the character. Yeah. If if you feel like a million bucks in it, that's all that matters. And can I just say, I'm still very happy to see whether it's at Disney's Halloween events or conventions. There's still quite a bit of indie cosplayers. I'm all about it. And Matt, another staple for this show is where Brian and I, since there's only four of them, we can't do a a Mount Rushmore. So let's rank them. Brian, let's get you in here. Let's uh, rank the Rushmores. I'm going to hope you don't. Oh, I don't know why, but I feel like, Brian, you're going to fire me up already. So let's hear him. Let's hear Brian's ranking of Indiana Jones. No, no, no. I'm going to let Salah take this for me. Very dangerous. <laughs> you it's, go first. Oh, man. I, <laughs> you go first, definitely. Um, you know what, Matt, then? You're, be our guest. Go for it. So my ranking is pretty going to... It might be leaning up with everyone else's. My ranking is going to be Last Crusade first, just because that's the one I grew up with and fell in love with. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Crystal Skull. Brian, you uh, you ready? You want to see what I say first? You can go. <laughs> Are you playing it safe? You can go. You're playing it safe? Okay. No, no, no. Um, I have my mind made I, up. I'm not going to waver. Okay. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie of all time. Um, it inspired me to tell stories, 
even do little like student films. So Raiders for me is my favorite. Last Crusade is number two for me. Um, I love watching that with my dad. It, I felt like it was one of those great father-son movies to watch. Temple of Doom is number three, and it's it's gone up for me. I remember a, a couple of times, like as a kid, I loved it because you know, like the gross bugs and scaring mm-hmm. <laughs> scaring everybody, you know. But Crystal Skull is fourth, and I know that's popular for a lot of people to have it fourth. But please know. I enjoy it, and it's not fourth because I know I know some people who won't even put it on their rankings, which shame on you. So yeah, Raiders, Crusade, Temple, Skull. Yeah. We were Brian, close. Raiders is yeah. one. Last Crusade is two, and those two for me, there's a pretty big gap between three and four. Uh, but for me, uh, I like Crystal Skull better than I do Temple of Doom. Oh wow! I uh, nice. I just watched these movies back to back in a twenty four hour period, and I hadn't watched Crystal Skull in relation to the rest of the films really close together near as much as I should have. Um, there's a lot in Crystal Skull that fits right in with the way the other f- three films were made. Really, the other two films were made. I think the the outlier from just that standpoint of of feeling and just everything within it. I think the outlier is temple of doom more than it is crystal skull for me. Um, wow. I prefer mutt over short round. Um, and I don't like the character of Willie Scott much at all. That's what drags temple of doom down for me personally. So temple of doom is actually my fourth of four. I didn't know we were doing hot takes, Brian. <laughs> I am. I, for one, I'm so happy that you went back Everyone listening, I've been asking so many friends to go back and watch Crystal Skull like after taking a break. And I'm like, I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy it a lot more since you have a break from it. So, Brian, thank you for going back and watching it. And did you say you liked Mutt over Short Round? Feeling <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm, that's a hot I'm take. Fine. I'm think, fine man, with Mutt. I, like, I, I don't care for I Short like Round. I just character. don't. Yeah, we'll get to that. I, I yeah. think Mark over at this Diz Life, though. I what is what does he always say? Um, I don't, don't hate, hate it. it. <laughs> I I'm a, I'm all good with like a mutt over short round. Um, wow, I did not expect <laughs> as Owen Wilson would say. Wow, I did not expect these rankings. All right, um, Matt, did you do a prop for Crystal Skull? Do you have one of the? Did you say that or not? No, I don't. And that's the sad thing is like, and that's, uh, so from a prop making aspect, there's, there's a couple good props that you could do from Crystal Skull. And it's like, um, Oriana's mask. And I have a friend that actually made Oriana's mask and it looks beautiful, mm-hmm. but the skull itself, it's so big and it would be a very complicated build to do. I'd love to do it someday, but that's, it's it's just it's a it's one of those movies where there's a lot of good props that you could kind of pull from the background more than like the main prop. Gotcha. I'm gonna get sidetracked because well I can. Did anyone else buy the giant Indiana Jones uh, Funko? Yes. Yes, Him? I have it. Ah, uh, I I was like, what am I gonna do with it? Like, yes, I love Indiana Jones, but uh, and then. I thought about it, and then the thought of not having it made me really sad. <laughs> so then 
I ran to um, Disney Springs where they were selling it and bought it. And I thought I bought the last one. And then someone came out with like five more from the back. And I was like, oh, whatever. It's still meant to be. So what's uh, funny is I have mine and I use it as the ha- as a hat stand for my Indiana Jones hat. Nice. <sighs> That's cool. I I didn't even think about doing that. Wow. That's pretty cool. I got mine over on my bookshelf. I felt like that's a good place for Indy to be with. Um, it's with the idol from Raiders. So I have that prop. And then um, a friend of mine bought me a postcard. It was from a deleted scene from Last Crusade of Harrison and Connery walking down a train platform. Oh, the Eskendron scene. I love that scene. Yeah. So I got a, I got a little mini area over there. But yeah. Thanks. Wow, I'm glad to know everybody else bought the big giant Funko one. I know they came out with smaller Vinylmation ones, and I never wanted to do them because they were the like mystery ones. And I, just, I, I didn't want I, to do that. I have them all. <clears throat> yeah, I. Of course you do. I'm sure you like. <laughs> you you made sure to do it, but I just I think I would have been upset to like not get the ones I wanted. Funko, Funko really, I, I, and maybe it exists. I, there has to be a movie moment of the Raiders and the ball and everything. Like, how does that not exist? How it doesn't exist. Like, we'll see. Cause you know, I, you know, when we're talking with talking about Funko, I've like looked and they've only done like two or three and they did one from the Indiana Jones ride. So yes. they had it actually had it where he was in his vehicle and then a smaller version of the big 10 inch. And then I think yeah. there was like one more, but that's about it. And nothing's maybe. been like, like you said, I would love to have one of the ball scene. Yeah. Maybe with the next movie, they'll, they'll start making a lot more. It wouldn't make a little sense. That's gotta be coming of all scenes in that movie. It's gotta be that one. I know they just released the, um, shark coming onto the orca from jaws. So yeah. I know like they're doing more and more of those, but Funko still. I'm I'm a little irked at them that they don't cap some collectors who hoard them. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at you, Funko, with your Sam Wilson, Falcon, and Winter Soldier Funkos. But anyways, that's another. Ooh. I got my Zemo. That's all I care about. Well, gentlemen, are we ready to move on to Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, here we go. Uh, released in 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark, celebrating 40 years, mm. still looks good. And that's what I love about it. It doesn't look dated because it was already dated <laughs> when yeah. it came out. Like, that was the aesthetic. Um, fans out there, you know I like to bring up my IMDb ratings and over an imdb it's sitting at an 8.4 now brian is that good for you would you go a little lower i hope you don't say yes or would you go higher no i would go nine nine and a half it's my favorite of one of the best franchises out there so i mean not everything's a 10 i can't give everything a 10 but this would go nine and a half being my favorite of the four Oh, I gave it a 10, no problem. And I Well, yeah, but it's your favorite I, yeah, film ever. I, like I understand I that. I definitely 
Yeah, I've definitely gone back and have seen some r- movies where I gave a really high rating to it. And I'm like, oh, buddy, no. <laughs> this one, though, it's I. Is there personal reasons for giving it a ten? Yes, but I honestly think it deserves a ten. I, it's a best picture nominee, best director nominee, best score nominee. I. So for all of our Oscar fans out there, in case you don't know, that year. Chariots of Fire swept up Best Picture and Best Score. Do I think it should have won Best Picture? No. Do I think Raiders should have won? No. So a little bit of a plot twist there. Uh, The movie Reds, directed by Warren Beatty, starring him. Um, I think that should have won Best Picture. It won Best Director. Score, though, for Chariots of Fire. It's memorable. But overall, that album, I'm a huge movie score fan for all of you out there. That album as a whole, I don't think was good enough to win best Oscar score. I definitely think Raiders should have walked away that night with it. Yeah. So I because, you know, I did I did my fair part. I went and I listened to it and it has that main tune. But the Raiders march. The Marion, oh my god, I love the Marion. The uh, Marian Desert singing. Chase sound. Yeah. Uh, that, that, the that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, that one just has so many tracks that. Iconic. Now, yeah, and don't get me wrong, um, I'm hoping I'm saying it right. Vangelis, who did Chariots Fire, they also did Blade Runner, and I believe they did 1492. Um, they've done a lot of great stuff. If you're a Hans Zimmer fan, you'll like Vangelis. You'll like their music. But anyways, God, man, John Williams. I wish, Brian, we need to figure out a way to do a John Williams episode. But Raiders starts off there. You know, we're on a jungle track. You have that jungle track music that kind of reminds me a little bit of Jungle, um, the Jungle Book. Um, (laughs) But, and then you see, you know... Indy's introduction there with them trying to get the drop on him. I think that's, and then you just see Harrison step into the light, you know, right there, this is going to be something special. I think for me. Yeah. Um, Cause it, again, you know, if, if you really want to look like it back to the old serials that inspired George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, um, falls within those lines of like, you know, this debonair hero that, you know, could get the drop on him at any moment and has to be prepared and ready for it. It's just a, it's a very good way to introduce a character. Yeah, and he commands the respect, like, right away. Like, when this movie came out, nobody knew who, I mean, we all knew who Harrison Ford was, uh, or those that were alive at that time. We don't fall into that <laughs> category. Uh, but, I mean, he commands that respect right away. You can tell that he's prepared and ready for just anything that's going to be thrown at him. So let me ask you that. Tom Selleck, he was real close. Mm-hmm. Magnum PI held him up. Um, Matt, am I getting this right? Magnum PI held him up, but then there was a writer strike. So he actually could have done it, but they actually started filming. So they had already moved on. Did yeah. you hear that one? Yeah, so I heard about that. I. I saw the screen test with Tom Selleck, and if you have the Blu-ray or the DVDs, um, they're on there. Check them out. They have the screen test with Tom Selleck and also Sean Young for Marion. And 
he he played it really serious and heavy, I feel like. And Tom Selleck, he can turn on the charm. You know, I'm not just talking about Tom Selleck from Friends, which, you know, he's pretty good as Richard. But is it bad that I thought of Mr. Baseball? Anyone out there seen that one? Um, <laughs> but um, I, I don't think he would have been a bad indie. But from his screen test auditions, I think he was he was too heavy for me compared to Harrison. He was for me personally. Um, he was a lot more gruff on yes. a rougher edge. It, it, a lot of it's like, you know, you look at the nuances with Harrison Ford, especially with the characters that he's played in the past. He's able to kind of like, he, he's able to kind of approach each character differently. Mm-hmm. And you can see him, like you can see how he approaches Indy. It's, you know, this, essentially he's a playboy. That's I'm not going to deny that one. Essentially he is a playboy, but he's also an adventurer and ready for it at any moment. Well, I mean, George Lucas, um, I mean, Spielberg was hoping to do a Bond film and he was turned down and George was like, I I got something better. You know, this guy was before Bond. Like, I got something better for you. So, yeah, I I definitely think Harrison knows how to play that charming role. Obviously, we got to see that with Solo. Sean Young's auditions, man, she's had it rough. (laughs) She was supposed to be Catwoman in Tim Burton's movie. And then, whoo, um, that that didn't work out and kind of went off the deep end. Karen Allen is a treasure as Marion. And I think her character gets overlooked quite a bit. Like, whenever people are talking about strong female characters, they bring up Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor. Um, I even hear now, you know, people bringing up Black Widow and Wonder Woman. I, I get kind of sad when people don't talk about Marion as a strong female character. And... I think a lot of that, because I think so too, I agree with you. Um, I think a lot of it stems from the, well, the souls scene. Oh. I think that's where it stems from. Because uh, have you watched, so it is in the DVD. It's on the complete collection, and it's also on the 4K, because I got the 4K one. Um, They have a 1981, like, making of Raiders of Lost Ark. And in that... Lucas and Spielberg both talk about Marion Ravenwood and that character and her she is supposed to be a strong female character that can go toe to toe with Indiana Jones and we can clearly see that she's capable of doing it and I think I think a lot of times where people don't look at her as a strong female character is especially during the uh, well the soul scenes I see and I would respond to them of don't you remember in the beginning when Indy hops in the plane <laughs> And there's a snake, and he has a little freak out. Like every every hero has a moment. It's okay. Like snakes. I mean, even why did it have to be snakes? Yeah, Egyptian I mean, ass. Ca- Very dangerous. Yeah. Even even Captain America. You say Bucky, and he just kind of shuts down and has a little moment. Like it's it's okay. Everyone is allowed to have a moment. We get the iconic and hopefully fun go scene of the giant boulder coming down oh wait you know what before that though we have the the booby traps as indy's trying to get that prize idol and mm-hmm. we see that you know oh man all right he's he's smart he knows what he's doing he's getting around it and i tell you what 
when he's like looking at it, judging the weight, he's got the sandbag, and you have John Williams like tension building music there. Oh, but I love because I feel like every movie before that. All right, that's it. He can just walk out now, and we'll have a shot of him walking out of the um, the cave, and everything will be fine. Nope, they were smart about it. They booby trapped it and everything. Uh oh, he's got to get out of there. And now we got a giant boulder coming right for him. And uh, you you see him like fall a little bit, but I tell you what, even like him falling there, I'm like, man, this is gonna get him. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good. This scene is iconic. Um, I mean, you have like two iconic scenes right there with like you see it's memes, it's clips, it's gifs of him trying to get the idol and then him being chased by the boulder. It's all good. Although I think one of my favorite gifts is when they replace the boulder with a giant cat chasing mm-hmm. after him. I think that one's funny. But to have two iconic scenes right there in the beginning, that's and I mean obviously there's more to come in this movie, but just uh, for all of you out there who haven't listened to our Steven Spielberg episode, it was episode two for us. Although since we re- had to reload everything, who knows where it is now? But Check out our Steven Spielberg episode if you want to hear me just fangirl hard over Steven Spielberg, the man, the myth, the legend, for a reason. Well, I mean, like, I I fully agree with you. And it's like you're talking two iconic scenes within, like, the first 15 minutes of the movie. (laughs) Like, that already sets you up for the rest of the movie, knowing, like, okay, this is what we're starting with. How is it going to continue to build up? Uh, And then... It also does something right after that. He doesn't walk away with it. Like, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. There's Belloc, or Belosh. <laughs> I heard, like, the one, like, was Sala says it, Belosh. Um, he's right there to take it. And I, I can't really too many times think about when our heroes had such bad luck. Now, Star Wars... They did have some moments there where our heroes in A New Hope had some bad luck, but it was just great to see our hero not walk away from the prize. It was not that easy. And I I have to tell you all this. It was two days ago that I realized that Paul Freeman, who p- plays Belloc, mm-hmm. does anyone else know what movie, other movie he played a villain in? Um, uh, no. I'm going to say it. And you know what? This makes me happy that you guys might not know. Brian, any guesses? What other... He played a really big villain in a, another movie. Um, I feel like I do know this information. And I feel like when you tell me... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I do know it. I, I think I know it. He was... Go for it. He was Ivan Ooze in the Power Rangers. <laughs> yes. Winner. That's ding, ding, ding. right. <laughs> I... I because it was one of those random like um, Instagram posts about him just talking about how like unhappy of an experience that was. And then they asked him to compare it to his experience filming Raiders. And I was I was so dumbfounded because it doesn't sound like him. Obviously, it doesn't look like him, but I had no idea (laughs) from the Power Rangers movie. I did just learn it while like within the last within this last rewatch, yes. I'm with you there within the last couple of days, but I did I giggled to myself when I figured that out. More trivia out there for you fans. So I did mention Sulla and 
um, John Reese Davies. Am I saying it right? God, I hate it if I'm butchering. Mr. John, if you're out there listening, thank you for listening. And I'm sorry if I butchered you. I've always pronounced it John Rice Davies. Rice Davies? Yeah. Brian, Brian is well aware of my butchering of names. We still have our fun with like Henry Cavill. Or is it Henry Cavill? Nope. And then, um, then I, um, I would say Feige. John John Reese Davies is what I would say. So we've got three different yeah. ways to pronounce it. Oh there boy! Wait, Brian, did I say it right? Did I say Kevin's name right? Say it again, Feige. You got Feige? it. You got it. Man, Matt, this was a struggle for me. I kept wanting to call him Kevin Feige for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Oh Brian, boy. So for all of you um, wanted some making of fun facts about this show, Brian and I literally had a text conversation where he spelled it out in like a um, enunciation kind of way <laughs> for me so that I could do it. So that way, whenever Kevin does decide to come on the show, I'm ready so that I don't butcher his name. But anyways, <laughs> Sulla, the sidekick. The man missing from Temple of Doom, understandably, and does come back for Last Crusade. I'm did did I want him in Crystal Skull? Yes, but where where would you have put him in Crystal Skull? So mm-hmm. I he said he's willing to come back for Indiana Jones Five if there is a natural organic way. For him to come back, I'm all for it. He's for it. You know, I mean, he's done walking around Middle Earth. I'm good with it. It oh, is yeah, to be- it is to rhyme with peace. John Reese Davies. Rhyme with according Pete to John Reese Davies. Huh. Yeah, Sulla in this movie. Um, I always get a kick out of his. Um, <laughs> Brian, you already. Uh, played the clip earlier when Indy or when they're deciding who's going to go into the, um, the well of souls, right? I've got um, it again. You want to hear it go- again? Yes, please. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this movie because it shows masculine men being scared. Like I, this movie has so many firsts. And I think that's one of them. And Sala, like when Indy's like, Sala, get down here. And you just see him like point at himself, like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, does anyone else? So, spoiler alert, when they're sealing Indy and Marion in, and you see the look on Sala's face, like when they close it, that heartbreak on there. Oh, that like yeah, emotionally sucker punches me in the heart. Yeah, he sold it really, really well. I, I, yeah, that's when you're like, oh no, this is actually like desperate for Sala. Like he doesn't. Yeah, I'm with you. I, yeah, it's a big. Deal. Yeah, no. And then, and then you wonder what's going to happen to him because, well, let's face it, that army that's there, those those captives, they weren't very tolerant of people that were different from them, so. I, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to him. And so that was always scary to worry about Sala. And of course, luckily, everything works out. And he sees his friend Indy in the tent there. And <laughs> you've got to hurry. It's being loaded on a truck to Cairo. Truck. Ah, 
What truck? I I have been very blessed to be able to say that line. You know, whenever you get fed a line, you rock it out whenever you can. And I remember someone was like, "Hey, um, we gotta we gotta get a moving truck. Have you seen it? Like, it's supposed to be coming." I was like, "Truck? What truck?" I was like, "Yes." Just like when um, someone, like, I asked them, like, you know, hey, do you have your ticket? Uh, no. No ticket. I just, I loved it. Shout out to Kevin Smith for throwing that in Dogma. That was one of my favorite Indiana Jones references. But anyways. It's fun when you can always make an Indiana Jones reference in your normal conversation. Now, the fun thing is when someone catches it. That's even better. Yeah. I mean... Do you guys have a favorite catchphrase from this movie? Mine personally is, it's not the years, it's the mileage. So, and especially feeling like I'm getting old, I've used that one quite a bit. Yeah, um, I've used, so I've used that one, that one, that one is my favorite. Uh, the line from Crystal Skull, so whenever, when anything bad happens, I always kind of think about that line where we've reached the age where life stops ta- uh, stops giving us things and starts taking them away man when a man, that guy not deep when not a deep movie has a deep moment <laughs> like oh man it's kind of like that steve buscemi line and i think it's spy kids three or four when he talks about like because god he was a creator of things and just talking about, it, is God afraid of his creations? I was just like, oh my God, this is Spy Kids 3. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. So, um, and the basket chase scene. Mm. The music, that's just another great moment with John Williams. And it's fun. And then you have the moment. And I know it's common knowledge now. Indy and in the original script was not just supposed to, supposed to shoot the swordsman. There's supposed to be a fight. And then poor food poisoning happened and hit the crew, except for Spielberg, because he ate out of a can. But anyways, spaghetti. Love you, Steven. Love you. <laughs> um, so that scene there, it makes me laugh every time. And I think I, I wanted to cry. When I saw it in theaters, when they did one of the re-releases, people still laugh at it. This movie's 40 years old, and people still laugh at it. I love that. There's, well, like, again, this falls under the idea of it being an iconic film. You know, we're talking 40 years, you know, yesterday. And there's one-liners in it that people like to use that have become, you know, part of pop culture. It's just, I love it. And right after that, John Williams goes from, like, giving us suspense and fun little basket chase scene to a sadder version of the Marion theme as Indy thinks that he lost her. And, oh my God, I know it wasn't planned, but then when the monkey kind of cries out too, uh, oh man, I need to look. I don't think he was nominated for Best Actor. I, I kind of wish he would have been. I, I think you could have argued for it, but... We get to it where Indy needs to find a new purpose and all that, and he discovers that Marion's alive. So, and I know I'm backtracking and jumping all over pacing of the film, but whatever, I can do it. That's cool. <laughs> um, 
he gets Marion back, but and we get to see actually her, you know, trying to escape Belloc. So she's not just I I see it as her not just being a weak female character trying to get out of there. She knows what she's doing. She drinks him under the table. Like oh, that yeah. is B A. Like drinks him under the table. Gets one of those really the- sharp knives that they yep. give her. Oh my god. But then when um the leather man, as I call him, I think his name's Tot Tote. Tote. Tote or something. Tote, thank you. Yep. Um God, that poor man wearing all that leather and that filming in the desert. You just see him like the look on her face of horror, him grab her, shakes the knife out, and then sits down at the table. Or no, he pulls out what looks like mini nunchucks. <laughs> <laughs> Ends up being a hanger. Man, well, well done. You and then could, sits down. You and buy that hanger online. Want it. Oh yes. My God. I want to know what the, it's called. Like, I feel like they have to give it some kind of cute name. Um, sits down and goes... Wait, what is it like? So what shall we talk about? That's exactly uh, what he says. The way he says it. Uh, you know what? I'm happy. Earlier we got to see him get his hand burned and then hop out of the bar like a little chipmunk into the snow. Like, ugh, guy had so much karma. I, I found it if you'd like to know what it's called. Okay. <laughs> it's called Tote Hanger. Oh, that's anticlimactic. Yeah. Oh, right. wait. No, it's spelled like his name, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well played. Well played. And that was a roller coaster. You went anticlimactic to well played in like four seconds. That was awesome. Look, <laughs> this this quadrilogy, there's just, a, I'm a roller coaster of emotions with it. Um, Sala luckily gets Indy and Marion on there, and <laughs> you have them in the captain's cabin sharing it. Oh, and I love that scene. The, the wonderfully comedic scene of Indy just beaten to hell <laughs> looking at himself and Marianne just upset about how dirty her side of the mirror is and out we go to his outside shot cut to of the ship and poor Indy screaming as Marianne just decks him with the mirror <laughs> on accident was it on accident do we do we have any I, questions I, I mean, it? I've always watched it, it as an, an accidental accident. thing, it an where accident. she's just not thinking. <laughs> where she comes, I'm just like, did you say something? <laughs> Any, no doubts at all from anyone, Brian? Any doubts that she might have enjoyed it a little bit? Well, I don't, I mean, I think she did it on accident. It doesn't mean she didn't enjoy it. <laughs> That's oh, true. true. Good call. Good call. So, and then we get, you know... Her trying to make him feel better and him being a baby like us grown men are whenever we are sick or anything. And we get the line that I love. It's not the years, it's the mileage, you know. And at first I just thought it was a cool line. But now <laughs> you've reached that lawn where you or that point in your life where you see Clint Eastwood sitting on a lawn and you're like, man, I can relate. <laughs> so <laughs> that line, I can relate. And uh-oh, the boat the engines have stopped. And they caught up to them. Poor Marion gets taken. And she looks so miserable in that nightgown. I feel like she's so vulnerable. Being in the nightgown, she can't, like, put on her tough outer shell, even though she was ready to uh, deck that 
one of the, like one of the army men. She was ready yeah. to punch him. And then comes <laughs> we can't not talk about poor Indy in the exhaust tube and then the the um soldier throwing the cigarette in there. <laughs> oh my god. So um and you know, we're like, how is Indy gonna get over to that submarine? Here comes his march. Brian, play that song for me. I'm gonna describe the scene to it. So they're trying to find Indy and look I found him there <laughs> off in the distance there's Indy climbing on board the submarine of course no submarine can hold Indiana Jones back and he gives them all a shout and you hear them cheering and but then there's that moment of how am I getting in <laughs> I don't know if anyone else like sees it but I totally see him like like look around like <laughs> where's the capsule for me to get into the submarine oh, just do to you, show what do you know about the deleted scene for this no 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 do tell oh you don't know about this deleted scene oh yeah and like what's funny is it also ties in with the um the Indiana Jones handbook Ooh. so he uh, basically ties himself to the periscope and hangs on <laughs> I can see why it was deleted. It, mm. Yeah, because so there's actual historical reasons behind it, but they yep. it did it got cut. Um, U-boats at the time went were faster if they were staying up above. We're not going all the way down underneath the water. So he by you know hanging onto the periscope, that's how he stayed alive and survived. Okay. Oh, you know what? I when we were talking about like the filmmakers of this we'll we'll get more to the spielbergs and lucas's but lawrence caston brilliant script good for awesome. you and uh, brian i i think he wrote another script for a movie far far away didn't he i think his uh yeah. his offspring wrote the solo a star wars story is that the one you're talking about no. Oh, Brian, do we have a fun fact for you? A Star Wars fun fact? No, I, of course I know who wrote the greatest film of all time. Heck yeah. Yeah. Empire, Empire. Strikes Back for everybody that yeah. doesn't know what we're talking yeah. about. For all of you uh, Trekkie fans out there, we're of course talking about Empire Strikes Back. And of course, there's no hatred towards Trek. I love you Trekkies. But getting back to it, um, Indy gets on that submarine gets back to the submarine base which was used for das boot it worked out for them and i just found this out it was actually the first scene they filmed for the movie so the hat and whip weren't even the first scene it was indy um sneaking into the submarine base mm-hmm. now we're gonna get to indy with the rocket launcher so the the, the bad guy army is walking down the canyon, making a whole show of it all, and Indy's there with the rocket launcher. One thing people like to point out is, what would Indy have done if they had given him the Ark? Like, would him and Marion have just carried it somewhere and, like, he would have figured it out? No idea. No. I, like, because I think, I think it was one of those things of, if I can't have it, you can't have it either, and he was, his plan was just to blow it up. Yeah. You know, I, make I the ultimate I, sacrifice. He wouldn't have wanted them to have it, no. <laughs> it belongs in a museum, you know. It belongs in a museum! So do you! 
I told them. I told them. So, um, so Indy gets captured again, and <laughs> you know what? That's another thing. Shout out to him getting captured again. Um, Indiana Jones drinking game every time he gets captured. Um, but then comes one of the most horrifying scenes that for me as a child and even not as a child, I, man, that scene, I put it up there with poltergeist. It is underrated as far as like just how scary it is Mm -hmm. when they open the arc. Indy knows, Indy knows something's not right, right away. And you just hear that hum in the air. And then John Williams with his very scary score for the arc theme and things start to happen and when indy says don't look at it marion whatever happens just don't look at it keep your eyes shut you know like it scared me more indy saying that like something something that scares dr jones is gotta yeah. be bad you know yeah so, that, that was um so that's a kind of Again, because I had recently watched that, that the making of uh, Raiders, and they said that was kind of like this big thing because you're looking at this character who, at the very beginning, goes, "I don't believe in superstition," you know, right. hocus pocus. This is talking about a find of real significance, and then all of a sudden he starts to see that this is real. There's something really behind this. Yeah, and I mean, even earlier we saw the arc kind of burn off the logo that was on in the crate that it was in and the poor rats the rats didn't make it yeah um so you know there's something to it am i remembering correctly it was it was too gruesome it originally got a rated r because Mm -hmm. of it they were of course you don't want this to be rated r your box office is going to hurt real bad and so they tamed it down by putting the flame effects over it which i think makes it a little worse (laughs) so um (laughs) You see the like kind of like this hell like visual of the face exploding, melting, and Belloc's prop head with the hands, the real hands that just hold it. Like just, <laughs> I I still get freaked out. I know I laugh oh. about it now, but it's only because I'm not watching it. So it's it's but a good scene. Sucks everyone in. What a great scene! And then you see the hole in the sky open up. And the arc lid fly up and just fly down. And the rope is burned away. And then Indy, being the sweetheart that he is, like, just, you know, grabs onto Marion to let her know, like, you're okay, you're okay, you know? Ugh, chills. Let me get that Marion theme. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep talking about that Marion theme. I love it. (laughs) Love the Marion theme. Um, Oh, man, that right there. Oscar written all over it. So, um... After that, we get everyone saved, and the government decides, mm. hey, yep. it needs to be studied by top men and not in the museum. Well, who are these top men? Top. Top men. <laughs> oh, that look on his face. Ooh. Indy just had the look of everyone. And then afterwards... Indy's real irked. Marion, I love her going up and down the stairs like she's ready to go back and fight them with him. And, oh, man, I love the lines. I'm sorry, this screenplay is beautiful. Where he's like, they just don't know what they have. 
up or they don't know what they have on their hands or whatever. No, they they don't know what they have in there. In there, and Marianne just looks at him, and she oh, she has that look on her face, that cute smile of, "Well, I know what I have right here." Mm-hmm. How about a drink? And like flicks his hat, you know, a drink. And Harrison, you know, still grown man, still pouting a little bit, like shrugs it off, throws his arm open, you know, the interlock arms. And, ooh, he gives that one more dirty look, though. And yep. then after that, we see the top men. It's it's in a crate. And, you know, we, we didn't have the fourth one yet. We thought this was going to be the last time we saw that arc, you know, in that big, massive warehouse. And that was it. And then the music plays. And John Williams tries to cheer you up with that march. But <laughs> you you don't think about it like this it, arc's going to be lost. But, oh, here's the happy march. <laughs> it's such an odd... And you kind of think about it. It's like, again, tying back into the beginning of the thing where our hero didn't get the prize at the very end. <laughs> again? <laughs> like, again? He didn't like, get it. Ugh. It goes so against the grain and the mold of what you think of traditional, you know, adventure movies are of the hero getting the girl, but also getting the prize at the end kind of thing of like, oh, I fought we fought for all of this and we got, you know, it's taken away from us. Yeah. And, um, you know, shout out. We got a, a very young Alfred Molina in the beginning there. Of course, we all know him from the um, very high-grossing film Chocolat. Yep, <laughs> he plays the mayor of the town. So, um, yep, brilliant actor. You're the worst. And... <laughs> okay, fine, Brian. Sorry, he was also in the uh, critically acclaimed Frida with <laughs> Selma Hayek and Edward Norton. Good movie. So, yeah, Brian, am I? Am I... <laughs> How dare you shame me? All right, fine. He might be appearing in the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah, that's better. We'll <laughs> We're not going to get that. too deep into that. But yeah, Duck Ock from Spider-Man 2. So John Alfred Molina, early stage Alfred Molina there in the beginning. Little baby Molina. So not compared to those other movies. Do you think this movie is a best picture, best director, best score winner? Or do you think the nominees were, were good enough? Nominees are good enough uh, for me. Like for me, I don't let the Academy dictate my life decisions. Like there's an iconic film that we're talking about 40 years later. And then there's chariots of fire. Like I don't care whether true. it won or not. Yeah. True. I would say the only one would be like, do I think it's best picture? I, I agree with you. No, no, it's not. It's at the time. I don't think it would have fallen within the reins of a best picture. Best soundtrack, though, yes, it should it should have gotten best soundtrack. Uh, I have it on vinyl, and it makes me so happy. I got it Amoeba um, Music Store, Hollywood, California. They had nice. it. I got it. Love it. So, um, did anyone see that fan film um, with the two friends who filmed it? I think it was man. I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher it, but it was like over 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. They did a fan fan version of it from kids to adults, and there was a making of it. And It was on Netflix, them. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I can't find they, it now. I know. They even got to meet Spielberg. That made me happy. 
happy that he took time to meet up with them. Good on them. I, I made a short film. I was in high school. One of many Spielberg and, or one of many Indiana Jones inspired ones. I remember mm-hmm. um, the faculty there. We had lost our um, FCAT results, I think it was. And they were like, Mark, <laughs> hey, can you make a little video just about how um, they're missing, but we're going to get those results to everyone soon? Um, please don't panic. And I'm like, can I? So it became a Raiders of the Lost Ark inspired FCAT results thing where at the very end there's when I sprinkled in the accurate information. But before that, it was all about um, just me recreating Indiana Jones out of high school. Yeah, I did a couple. Uh, I did a couple um, fan films. Yeah. Indiana Jones ones. Yeah. I mean, if anyone has a VHS player. I still got it. We can watch it. Oh my God. So I might go buy well, a VHS just to watch that. I have a VHS player, and I also have the uh, thing to convert it from VHS to digital. If you want to use my that, my guy. If my mom is listening, she'll probably be uh, messaging you soon so that we can do that. That was Raiders. Men, you ready to take a break and talk about some Indiana Jones theme park loving? Oh, of course. I don't know why I phrased it like that, theme park loving. I haven't even watched like super bad recently. I don't know where that came from. So, Indiana Jones, Stunt Spectacular. Mm. Friends, please go back and listen to our Disney um, attractions episode and also our favorite attractions episode. You will know that this is my favorite theme park attraction. But, Mark, it's a show. I said what I said. I stand by my too. favorite. Yeah, it is my favorite theme park attraction. I will happily be dropped off there and go sit front row and watch it and be entertained by it. I'll ask the hard question. One, does the show need, is it outdated and need to be replaced? Two, does the show need an update? Or three, is it fine as is? (sighs) Leave it as is for me. It recreates some of the best moments of Raiders, uh, from the ball to taking the gun and shooting the swordsman to the guy getting chopped up by the airplane propeller. For me, it's a perfect show. I don't think it really needs to be changed whatsoever. That was a big gasp there. <clears throat> um, no, I, I agree with him on some points. Like, it is the perfect show. I fully support, you know, I go to watch it all the time when it was open and then would always try to get picked as a volunteer. Oh, have you but, not been a volunteer, Matt? No, I have. Like, when okay. I turned 18, Ooh. when I turned 18, that was my first thing that I immediately went to. My goal when I turned 18 was to go be, so I could be a volunteer. Be I an extra. was my jaw was going to be on the floor <laughs> if if you hadn't gotten to do a volunteer. Brian, yep. I don't remember. Brian, did you say you have or haven't? No, I never have, but I'm not really jumping at the opportunity usually either. So, Oh, Brian. what a, Do it for your kids. They would love to see Daddy up there. They want me to be the guy in the uh, Hawaiian shirt. They don't realize that that dude's a plant every freaking time. <laughs> Wait, he's a plant? Oh, yeah, we, we just ruined that. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I know. Spoiler. Uh, but anyways, Matt, your thoughts on it? 
Well, no, I, I think it's a perfect show. I just, at this time, I think it needs a little bit of a refurb just to kind of maybe update some of the, just some of the machinery that's being used and everything like that. I think it just, you know, just update, because it's starting to show a little bit of its wear. Yeah. And I think it just needs that little bit of an update. I I think it... So if Disney wanted to call us into a meeting, be like, hey, here's what we're thinking. We're going to have you meet with Imagineering to go over some of our updated storylines. I would hear it out. But I don't... Uh, I don't think I want the show changed drastically. That's, that's like really kind of you to say you would just sit down with engineering and at least Imagineering and hear them out. Like, that's very kind of you. <laughs> I, you know what? I think it's only fair of them to call me up, invite <laughs> me to lunch. And for us, you know what? Let's, let's have lunch in the actual stunt spectacular theater. And just right there, let's have a meeting. Let's have lunch. Um, you know what? To put me in the mood, I will happily take one of their prop hats and Mm. wear it just so I'm in the right. I want to be in the right frame of mind. So the uh, prop hats are the one you actually currently have one of the prop hats. It's the Dorman Pacific ones. Do I? Shut your mouth. So they use they use the dorm. So the prop hat that you see that he wears is a Dorman Pacific hat. Like it's, you know, the standard one. And what they do is they add clear elastic string so that way it goes underneath of the chin line. So that's how the hat stays on. I have. I remember when I saw that little magic kind of ruined for me when I saw them move the um, the hat string. So, but yes, Imagineering, I'm waiting for your call and, you know, wow me, thrill me. But the show, I think it can use some loving as far as touch-ups. In no way do I want it to be completely refurbed and redone like... It, I don't want it to be... Brian, you just recently saw the Bourne stunt show. I'm a huge fan of it. That is not what indie is. I don't want a state-of-the-art stunt show like that. It's it's perfect for Bourne, but not indie. I love how indie is rustic. I think it works for him. So. It harks back to the old ways in which filmmaking used to be. Like, you know, pr- right. more relying upon practical effects. Uh, we're going to get to that when we get to Crystal Skull. But, um, mm. And then there's also rides. As we all know, I haven't gotten to make it to Disneyland just yet. Oh, my um, God. Here's hoping for my birthday 2022. Hopefully Avengers Campus will be a little more flexible as then. And Indy, I'm coming probably straight for you. I got to make sure if I'm going that that ride is open and running and not refurbing. Mm-hmm. But you gentlemen have been on it. So, um Holds up. Does that need any update, or just keep it as is? Um, you want to? Uh... Sure. Uh, I'm just fix it to the point where it doesn't break down as much as it does. <laughs> um, but I, it's my favorite. It took half a billion dollars in Star Wars: Rise of the Resistance to unseat it as my favorite Disney parks attra- or just theme park attraction in general. Um, I man, I love that ride. I love that ride so much. I love that ride so much. <laughs> um, there, it, it, it's it really it's one of those things where it was the '90s version of Rise of the Resistance, 
where oh. yep. well, think about it like because you know at that time it was that true immersion level of going through the temple going through and seeing all of like the traps getting them cleared out and standing in the atrium where you've got the giant dome above you and you see mara there with this cobra you know all painted up there and it's just gorgeous and beautifully done and distressed and it just has this absolute authentic feel to it like you stepped inside of an indiana jones movie and especially I, with the ride and i love the drew struzan who i'm a huge fan of his poster artwork i love his attraction artwork that he did for it so mm-hmm. there's a puzzle out there and got to get it i know i want to get it but i'm like oh, i gotta i gotta talk to you guys about how to frame a puzzle but um that's not the only ride, friends out there. Matt, what other rides do we have for Indy for Dr. So Jones? we have the uh, at Disneyland Paris ride, there is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Peril. So this one's kind of different because this one is actually a roller coaster and you, you go upside down. So it is a, like a true definition roller coaster. So this one breaks a little bit more away from like story elements that we know of, especially with like, uh, with you know temple of uh temple of the forbidden eye then there's going to be the one over in disney sea that is indiana jones and the temple of the crystal skull uh this one kind of goes a little bit more along the lines back to like forbidden eye with that type of ride mechanics um i've only gotten to see a little bit of i actually haven't gone to either paris or disney uh sea yet I've only been able to like watch those rides through like the POVs on YouTube, but both of them look really cool, and I can't wait to someday go do them. Yeah, that one in Paris, uh, whenever- it, it really looks like, I mean, Dino Land could easily be rethemed at Animal Kingdom with like Primeval World being repurposed uh, a little bit go- to. I I'm, I don't know. Just I- give me just give me Indiana Jones Land instead of Dino Land, and I will be happy. See, at first, everybody was like, well, you can't do it. The Indiana Jones show is at Hollywood Studios. As we've seen, Disney is okay with having the same property in different parks. So, I don't want it there. Oh, hot take. Go, Matt. Why not? Okay. Um, Knowing big picture, knowing what Animal Kingdom represents and the four aspects of extinction, you know, is forever which dino land is the indiana jones ip doesn't really fit within animal kingdom yes it falls within like the adventure aspect and you kind of i know the i've i've had this argument with someone before about oh what about avatar as conservation yeah in a roundabout way avatar avatar pandora has still a conservation message to it yes it is a roundabout way yeah. But it's more difficult to kind of get that with Indiana Jones, to get that animal conservation message with Indiana Jones. But not, I'm not saying I don't want that ride over here. I want that ride over here. <laughs> I just, right. I don't see it fitting in with Animal Kingdom. Can't, dis- can't disagree with that. Whenever I watch the ride footage for Mystic Manor, I secretly always go, Man, I would love an Indiana Jones ride like Mystic Manor. Mm, yeah. And of course, we can't talk about Disney and Indiana Jones without mentioning the Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar over at Disney Springs. I love it. It's a very subtle 
shout out to Indiana Jones for like the fans out there. I, I do know some people go there not even realizing it, but there's fun little hidden tidbits to let you know, yep, this is Indiana Jones related. And if you do go check out some of the uh, secret menu items, it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun hangout. Like you said, most people don't even realize the Indiana Jones connections, but if you go in there looking for it, they are all over the place. For all you visiting theme parks out there, we've given you some fun indie stuff, but we're going to go back to the quadrilogy as we take on the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, sitting at a 7.5 on IMDb, came out in 1984. Brian, 7.5. High, low, right about there. What are you thinking? Mm, right about there. I would go 7. I think I'd go like 7.1. Feeling 7.1. <laughs> I, 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 um... It's Ooh, go for it, Matt. Be honest. We know it's your favorite. Go. <laughs> Temple of Doom for me is it's of the three <laughs> of the three. Yeah. It's the weaker of the three. Yeah. You know, um, I would put it roughly around seven, seven, uh, six point nine. The making of it, you know, George Lucas was in a dark place with his um, divorce going on at the time. And. They brought on new writers, and I don't, you know, I the writers can only do so much when you have Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Harrison Ford giving you story notes. So this one, and we all have seen, George Lucas has a very heavy hand in the direction of indie. So yeah, there were there were a lot of elements, and then oh my god, this is actually my favorite making of of all of the films. Just seeing how Harrison Ford. You know, had his injury, and they had to like film around him in creative ways. I thought that was a great story. But let me ask you guys: Is this when you think of prequels? Is this in your top five, Brian? Does it make your Mount Rushmore of best prequels of all time? Not for not for me, honestly. Probably not. I'm doing this right off the top of my head. Again, yeah, I don't sorry. I don't care much for this film. Uh, of the of the four like last crusade and raiders are just so much better i i wouldn't call it the top prequel for sure dumb and dumber -er comes to mind oh my god mm. kidding I just don't of course know if you're you're trying to trigger me or not um i was kidding but i i mean okay. <laughs> off the top of my off the top of my head no i i wouldn't call this one of the greatest prequels ever no i would not yeah. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't go along those lines either. I, it's a good prequel. Um, it's definitely one of those things that it's like a callback, and you know, it helps lead into Raiders in a way. But yeah, <clears throat> I think personally for me, I'm gonna throw it up there on my Rushmore's favorites. Um, you know, it's. It's hard when you say films like Rogue One or like Episode Three, even like depending on how you want to look at, man. Oh, then you got to get into is Rogue One a prequel? Technically, uh, oh man. Anyways, Episode Three is going to be on my Rushmore. This might be a fun like random Rushmore, but Episode Three is definitely on my favorite prequels. So, but 
part of yeah, part of like what it. I mean, if if people don't pay attention to the timelines and everything else, you don't even really know that it's a prequel. And I think that's part yeah. of what doesn't even qualify it as a prequel for many people. Uh, so yeah, I would I, I would say that. that that plays against it too. I mean, like even as a as a kid growing up, uh, it didn't click to mind. It was just was always the second one. Yep. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's the second I, one. I'm gonna. I watched it more as, um, as it was a flashback. All right, hey, we're gonna flashback to like an Indiana Jones. Like, I I don't know how to phrase it best, but yeah, I didn't see it too much as a prequel. Did any of you ever try and watch? Now, granted, you only have to flip flop two movies, but did any of you ever watch it in chronological order? Yes. Go. Go two one three four. Yeah, I, I one thing I loved is that two and one felt like they were almost filmed back to back. And I know there was a three year gap of release, so it's not like they were that far apart. But it's not like the difference between Last Crusade and Crystal Skull. But I loved how. Like I said, they filmed it back to back so they could fit in whichever order you want to watch it in. Go for it. But it was something fun to do to try something different as to how I was watching them. I don't I know, watch these. I don't watch these often enough that I've really tried that too often. Like I don't watch these quite as frequently as I do something like the MCU where I would do it in chronological yeah. order versus release order. But no, I just usually if I'm going to do Indiana Jones, I'm going to start with Raiders. And that's just how I always do it. It starts off with anything goes, and you know Spielberg always wanted to do a musical, and up until West Side Story coming out this December, that was the closest he got. Um, and Kate Capshaw, and oh, also this was the uh, first time out of all four of them that you have it where it shows the font uses the Indiana Jones font. Oh, yeah. wow. That's a fun fact. Um, yeah, yeah, because everything yeah. else is like that, like white and black lettering. Yeah, that's true. Now I think of it. Wow, wow. All right, another good moment. But Kate Capshaw, bless her, she had to learn how to dance. Um, and then they made the dress too tight, so she couldn't really dance like they choreographed. And she had to learn that song in two languages. <laughs> and like, like so. Kudos to her, and are we, out of the female leads, are we going to say she's the, the weaker of the female leads in all four movies? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, pretty, I don't want to say it's anything against Kate Capshaw. Like, her acting isn't bad, you know, I don't think it's, she can act. Watch Space Camp if you uh, need proof of that. Or even Dream um, Dreamscape. Is Dreamscape? Yeah, Dreamscape. So she can act. I just, I think she played the character as written. And I'm going to go with it's more of just flaws with how the character was written. Um, but you have the fun little, almost Benny Hill-like comedic beginning there with the antidote getting kicked around and everyone panicking. God, everybody, I feel like, just kept running back and forth. Nobody wanted to run out of the club. But... <laughs> right. So then you had the giant gong, and Indy being Indy has to make his escape. 
jumps out of the window and all right first one to get surprised what's the name of the club club obi-wan come club on obi-wan yeah yeah and then we get into the car and we are introduced to short round matt i'm gonna tell you my fan fiction idea for what i wanted indiana jones 5 to be okay short round takes up the archaeological adventurer um path that dr jones inspired him to do and he gets caught up by accident in a triad that wanted him to go find something he gets um badly injured and hurt almost on the verge of death dr jones has to come out of retirement to um get this last artifact so that he can save short round but of course he's not going to give it back to the triad so his mission becomes to get this lost artifact and also save short round and that was my fan fiction idea lucasfilm miss kathleen kennedy frank marshall if you're out there you want to call me we can do lunch um but that's what i was hoping was going to be for a fun indie adventure probably be asleep by now Ooh. Oh, yeah. Where are they right now? They're in Scotland. Right are... Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I'll I wait thought for you meant you were I mean, going to be asleep watching the movie. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Frank right? Marshall, I, I Frank like, Marshall posted so uh, they're, 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 tor- they're doing some tourist stuff today. Well, oh, that's cute. Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kenny. What a power couple. But, you know, that's okay. This episode comes out on Wednesday morning so it'll come out wednesday afternoon their time so they can listen to it then that's fine i'll take their call late okay so yeah that was my uh fan fiction idea we can move on uh, it sounds good i like it sounds like a good solid plan right i somebody oh man i felt real burned they were like the other ones i've heard well, somebody point. They were like, it kind of reminds me of the Mummy Three. And first off, I walked away from them. <laughs> I, I was, man, don't you bring up the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor or whatever it is? I was just like, leave me alone. Um, but yeah, I have fun with it. So, Temple of Doom, they escape, and Indy gets on the plane and with once the help again, of Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know it, but then when you when it was pointed out, you you can hear his Dan Aykroyd voice. He just has such a unique voice. (laughs) How hard can it be? And of course, Harrison Ford, being one of the best all around people there is now, knows how to fly a plane and a helicopter, too. When I saw that in the Expendables 3, I think I was like, oh, my God, of course, he knows how to fly a helicopter. But I do actually. He's used the helicopter for uh, with rescue attempts when people have been lost in national parks. I heard that, like for mountain rescues. Yeah, I've heard that, and I I do laugh when the line where he makes a joke about having problems with landing and how Harrison Ford has had some landing issues. But I tell you what, he hasn't gotten badly injured. More often than not, he walks away and just needs to be checked out. So, the guy's doing something right. Yep. So. Then comes one of the most plausible escapes from a plane that I've ever seen. A life raft. Please tell me you have watched the Mythbusters episode where they tested this. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to say, I was like, please tell me you've watched that, where they test it and they go, it's actually doable, in a way. <laughs> do I do I think the um, filmmaking brilliant team behind this knew that going into it? No. No. I, I think they needed a way to connect the river journey. Um, it's not the Navi river journey. Anyways, um, the river journey and the plane. We need something. All right, let's just have it be a raft. But yeah, Smithbusters, you saw them not wanting to admit how plausible it was. And yet a lot of factors need to happen. But yes, yes, it can happen. Yeah, it's, it's plausible. Doesn't mean it's going to actually happen every single time. But, you know, if you're lucky. Yep. And then Indy, you know, they go down the river, come to that tribe. And I love that they actually, they used, like, very uh, natives. They used very local. Local village. Yeah. Village. They used them. And it wasn't just, you know, actors or something like that. The, the gentleman who was describing their situation, they were literally feeding him lines. Because he didn't, he didn't know much English, so they were feeding him lines, and I thought that just added so much to the scene. And is it a coincidence that Indy just happened to wash up on that shore? I don't care. Whatever. Good plot device. Speaking of which, you know what? This is what I wanted to ask. <laughs> Do you all get fired up when people talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, about how Indiana Jones is not actually essential to that plot? Like, I read nothing. an article about that, and basically it says, it, it, the long short of it was, shut up, it's just a movie. The character still actually does, he's, Indiana Jones still has some influence on the story. Yeah. I mean, Marion's Marion's life, she would have been... Um, she would have been in the bar. Indy wouldn't have saved her. Like, let's call it as is. Like, they would have gotten the headpiece. Marion would have been dead without Indy. And then um, I heard one theory is that it wouldn't have been opened. No matter what, it, the Ark would have never gotten to Berlin. Because Belloc still wouldn't have wanted to check it out. So ah. everyone would have still died. And yeah. so it, it wouldn't have ended because the whole big thing was, oh, you know, it'll and it'll end the war. It would have ended the war. And it's like, no, no, he still wanted to check it, even without yeah. Indy's interference, because he thought he had won. He basically was like, no, I want to check to make sure this is the real arc. So he would have done that no matter what. And still they would have all died. Yep. Brian, have you heard this um, popular theory ish? No, no, I've. I'm not as clued in as, as you guys are. I've never heard that, but I, I guess thinking through it, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, but I don't care. Stop I mean, <laughs> do I want to start going through other movies to see who like didn't need to exist? Like maybe we didn't need Buckwheat and Little Rascals. I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, did we really need Captain America in the first Avenger? Like the Howling Commandos? Maybe could have. No. All right. Let's not get into that, you know? <laughs> So, but anyways, Temple of Doom. So, Indy, looking out, and this film is darker. You know, every every trilogy, quadrilogy series has that serious. It's usually the middle movie. Like, Star Trek Into Darkness did it. 
Um, I think even the two towers went kind of dark there. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, it's it's called the bell curve. You want to explain that to our listeners? So it's it basically like even Empire Strikes Back does it too. Um, yeah, it's this bell curve where the first movie is this high point. And then it's almost like a reverse bell curve. The second movie goes darker, and that's where you get a lot more of your character development. So now you've mm. you've seen your hero, your heroes and their top. Now you need to take them somewhere dark to have them expand as characters. And then by the third film, it's supposed to curve back up and almost go back close to where the original was, and having this resolution and you know seeing them grow from where they are and become these better individuals. I think the only series that didn't do it in the second one, because, you know, J.J. Abrams' Star Trek did it. Even the original Star Trek films with Wrath of Khan did it. But um, Jurassic Park, because, you know, you have the first one, you have the second one. They pause the dark storyline to the third one, where you see Alan Grant's, like, kind of fall. Like, he's struggling because of Jurassic Park. And him and Ellie, still friends. They're friend-zoned. But that didn't work out. So Jurassic Park kind of paused it to the third one. Temple of Doom, it's darker. You have the kids storyline with the slave kids. I know that's a hot topic to talk about. So I'm maybe going to steer us away from that. Um, but still a, um, still a good comparative to um, like Raiders soundtrack is still good on Temple of Doom. I will oh, say yeah. that. I love it. Spielberg loves the Trek theme that was created for it um, by John Williams. Definitely an underrated album. Check it out. But the film overall, I I, I think it has the playful moments like where Willie and Dr. Jones are going back and forth with the flirting and all that. And of course, you know, then you have the bug scene. I love when she says, it, I'll be the best you'll ever have. And he goes, I don't know. Like, I, I, you can't get away in my scientific opinion. I'll let you know in the morning. Like, I love that part. It's so funny. <laughs> you conceited ape. <laughs> <laughs> I, the film overall, like, I don't think it's as dark as people, like, remember it. I think they are forgetting some of the more. But don't get me wrong. At the end there where they strap Willie into the cage to lower her down. And Indy, oh, before that, when he's being taken over by the, the poison? Black sleep. Black, Black sleep, sleep. Kalima. Thank you. Black sleep. Oh, my God. That's dark with the candles around him. Great visual, though. But, the torture scene, too. Oh, God. Torture scene. And then you even have short round, like, getting whipped. Things are getting serious in this. But then Indy, luckily, his friends help him out, save him. Short round gets him out of there by burning him. Um, and Which, uh, when he- okay, so I will talk to you about that. So this is going to tie in with the comic books. So And it also is brought up in the novels. Short round figures out that pain is what breaks them from the black sleep when he's escaping from the mine. Ooh. Yeah, that's how it, it. That's how he figures out how to do it. It wasn't. It was one of those things of when he's escaping from the mine. He accidentally he sees one of the guards get burnt and wakes up, and it was realizing that it's the pain from the burn that wakes him up. Hey, I really need to get those comics. So after that, then we get the the mine car scene where 
you know, short round listens to the kid who tells him the way to go. But of course, Indy's got to do it his way and they go the wrong way. Um, and then you have the cliff scene. Now, for me, being someone who hates heights, that scene still like, oh. but I will say whenever I go over like a rope bridge, like the one at Animal Kingdom, <laughs> when you go over the alligator pit, I do mm-hmm. think of Temple of Doom. Um, but I think it's a, you know, good ending. He luckily saves one of the stones. The rest fall into the water. I think that's a kind of a fun story idea for someone that to go digging into the water to find the other two stones. That could be a fun story idea. But um, again, he also loses the item. He yeah. doesn't have it at the end. He doesn't have it at the end. He donates or donates. He gives back the one that he has back to the tribe. So and, you know, then comes the parade of children. Happy ending. Indy um, thinks he's going to just give her the smolder and get a kiss. And Willie actually is not about that at first. Kind of walks off and then he's got to like rope her back in. So the the little the little Maharaja like in the voodoo doll, like that's the kind of stuff that really just doesn't work for me. And that's just me, my personality and all that. But that stuff like really creeps, creeps me out. Which, dude, I feel the exact same way. I didn't. I went, I'm not a big fan of it either. That's the reason I don't have any of those props. So, there, being from New Orleans, I'm quite familiar with voodoo shops. There was actually one that had a voodoo doll of the Indiana Jones one. And what, what did they call it, though? They didn't call it Indiana. I don't think they could. They call it the um, archaeologist doll. <laughs> so... But I saw it. There was not one part of me that wanted to buy it. Of course not. But I was still like, nope, 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 nope. Gonna walk away. Prepare to meet Kali in hell. I love that bridge. Uh, The drawbridge scene. God, that gives me so much anxiety. And, you know. I love when the gators gators are down there, like, doing circles and stuff. Like, how quickly they just inhale everybody that falls into the water makes me (laughs) laugh every time. So, do you know that they actually filmed those alligators in Florida? There was a, like, it's almost kind of like Wild Florida, an establishment that was like Wild Florida, and they filmed the gators there. Interesting. Oh. For you know, gators in Florida. Um, And... Also, the Temple of Doom plane, the plane that you see at the beginning of Temple of Doom, is at the Fantasy of Flight here in Florida, too. I knew that. I didn't know that, man. Yeah. It's not on display right now, and that's I'm waiting for it to go on display so I can go check it out. Well, that concludes part one of our Indiana Jones Epic Podcast Spectacular. We thank you, fellow fans, for uniting with us. For those listeners who want to get in touch with the show, please do so. Brian, tell our listeners how they can message the show and stay up to date on everything UWF. You can find us on Facebook at United We Fan the Podcast, on Instagram at United We Fan underscore podcast, or shoot us an email at United We Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, definitely check out our Instagram. We're starting to get some local artists to do our poster artwork for our episodes. We welcome anyone who's interested in do so. Reach out to us. John over at Vertigo Giant, he's done a couple of them for us, including this Indiana Jones one. So we appreciate you all. Thank you again and listen to us wherever you check out your podcasts. To the United Again fans, Brian and I are off to fortune and glory. 
Not the years. It's the mileage.